America is not a Christian nation. Now, some are going to want to push back on this, but consider a few things first. First, a Christian is someone who has repented of their sins and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Individuals do this and not nations. But it's more than a matter of semantics. We're told in 2 Corinthians 13 and 5 to examine ourselves to see if there is evidence of Jesus. We're further told that where there is no evidence of Jesus, it's because there is no Jesus. And we have failed the test and we are not saved. Being a Christian is not a matter of a prayer I prayed several years ago and, and asked Jesus into my heart. And yet this prayer has no bearing on my daily life. Where there is no evidence of Jesus, there, there is no salvation from Jesus. If we apply 2 Corinthians 13.5 to America and our culture, what evidence do we see of America being a Christian nation? The statement cannot be based upon something we collectively agreed to say about ourselves a couple of hundred years ago, but has no bearing on, on us as a society today. What evidence in the American culture leads us to conclude we're a Christian nation. Consider, over 63 million abortions have been performed in America alone since the original rule on Roe v. Wade in 1973. Now granted, it was overturned and sent back to the states, but most states continue to abort babies every single day. Consider, we have an entire month dedicated to celebrating sexual immorality and mental illness. To be clear, it's not just that the immorality is celebrated, but it must be celebrated. Any refusal to celebrate it results in swift and severe penalties. Now, some may take issue with the fact that I said mental illness with this. But until recently, the idea that you were a different gender than the one you were born was considered to be a mental disorder called gender dysphoria. Now, technically, it's still called gender dysphoria. It's just we're told by some it's no longer a mental disorder. It is a natural and a normal thing. Our cultural acceptance of gender dysphoria as a natural and a normal thing has led to some unbelievably strange and ridiculously sad situations. I read a story of a 50-year-old man, 50-something-year-old man who was married with children, like six foot five, 280 pounds. And he woke up and realized he was really an eight-year-old girl. And so he subsequently left his family. He was adopted by an older couple. And he lives as an eight-year-old girl with pigtails, frilly dresses, baby dolls, whole nine yards. Our culture tells us to celebrate this man living by his own truth. Now that seems ridiculous and it's eye-rolling and cringy. Other situations are just tragic. I watched a video on Thursday of a teenage girl weeping because her quote-unquote headmates were men, but she was a girl. And to make her headmates more comfortable, she was going to transition to a man and was sad 
that she was going to miss out on being a woman. Now, if you're confused about what a headmate is, it is the other personalities in her mind. She has disassociative identity disorder, more commonly called multiple personality disorder. And her other personalities are men. And some doctor in our country is going to carve her up, pump her full of male hormones, so the voices in her head will be happy. Our culture tells us we should celebrate what this young woman is going to do to herself. Consider the corruption in our political parties. And the corruption is in all parties. There is not one corrupt party and one good party. There are two large corrupt parties and several small corrupt parties who just aren't as successful at their corruption as the larger ones are. Consider the violence in our culture. How many people are beaten, raped, molested and murdered and in some way violently assaulted in our nation every single day? The number is so great, we're numb to it. And it doesn't typically even make the news unless there is something extra that makes it startling and newsworthy. The evidence is clear. While there are many disciples of Jesus in this nation, this is not a Christian nation. And we, have decided, we as disciples of Jesus must wake up to the condition of our culture. We cannot put our heads in the sand about the condition of our culture any longer. But what we must do is ask ourselves, how did we get to this place? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Open your Bible to Romans 1, verse 18. So we're going to start page 857 in your pew Bible. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Romans 1 and 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. But God, or for God, made it evident to them, since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, that is, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, being understood by what has been made, so they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give Him thanks. But they became futile in their reasoning, and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for the image and the form of corruptible mankind, of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them up to vile impurity in the lust of their hearts, so their bodies would be dishonored among themselves. For they exchanged the truth of God for a falsehood, and worshipped and served the creature, ran the Creator who is blessed forevermore. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for that which is contrary to nature. And likewise, the men too abandoned natural relations with women and burned in their desire toward one another, males with males, committing shameful acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of the error. And just as they did not like did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to depraved minds to do those things that are not proper. People have been filled with all unrighteousness and wickedness, greed and evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slanderers, 
haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unfeeling, and unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they approve of those who practice them. The title of the message this morning is Wake Up to the Condition of Our Culture. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. You're great and awesome. You're wonderful and worthy. Lord, we thank you for your word that guides us. We thank you for your word that, that shows us the way. Lord, it is, it is a, a rock that we break ourselves against if we do not stand on it and we do not let it chart the course of our lives. It is unchanging. It is unwavering. And Lord, it is just as accurate, just as necessary today as it was when you originally inspired authors to write it down. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that comes and makes your word living and active in our hearts and minds. Thankful. He can open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your word. We could see truth. We could be led into all truth. And we ask for him to come and do this today. Father, we don't want to be led astray by our culture. We don't want to have rose-colored glasses when it comes to the way things are. We don't want to be nostalgic and look back and say, well, back then it was like that. Father, we want to see an accurate view of the world today as you see it. And we want to know what we're supposed to do in response to it. So, Father, today send Holy Spirit to come. Let him use the word and make it to convict us where we need convicting. Let him smash strongholds in our minds so our thoughts could be brought captive to the obedience of Christ. Let him shine the word in our minds that we would see the glory of Christ and would surrender all to him. Let Holy Spirit take your word and use it like a plow and just plow up the fallow hard ground of our hearts that your word would sink deep down and it would bring forth the fruit that you wanted to have from us today. Fill me with the Holy Spirit that I would speak clearly and I would speak boldly and I would be accurate in what I say about who you are and what you like. Use this time today to change us, Lord. We don't want this to be the box we check. Father, let your word have great power in our lives today. Lord, it would burn away the junk and the dross and make us pure vessels for Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It's a tough passage. And it paints a rather ugly picture of humanity. Warren Wiersbe says, this passage shows devolution instead of evolution. In evolution, man starts low but rises high. In devolution, man starts high but sinks low. It's what this passage teaches Man started high, created in the image of Almighty God. But in this passage, it shows a culture and a people spiraling further and further and deeper and deeper into depravity. And this spiral of depravity that we see in this passage is what our culture, our nation finds itself caught in right now. There are, I believe, three stages to this, each leading to the next. 
The first stage is the cultural rejection of God. Right? You, you look at verse 18 and it talks about the ungodly and the unrighteous. But why are they ungodly and unrighteous? Well, in this passage, look at what it says. The ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. The reason they are ungodly, the reason they are unrighteous is that they have rejected God's truth. Primarily God's revelation of himself. Look at verse 19. Because what is known about God is evident within them, but for God made it evident to them. Right? God has not hidden the truth about who he is or what he's like. He has made it known. Now, there are at least four ways, and there are four primary ways God has made truth about himself known. Right? God's truth is revealed in nature. Heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Verse 20 tells us the same thing. His, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes have been visible. The heavens declare the glories of God. The creation declares there is a creator. God's truth is revealed by our conscience. Romans 2 and 15. And we don't often think about our conscience as a a revealer of God. But isn't it interesting that virtually all nations all across the world have very similar laws? Some things are just people know instinctively these things are inherently wrong. Where does that knowledge come from? Where does the knowledge of the fact that it's wrong to murder someone or rape someone come from? I mean, if we are if we are just talking monkeys and we're a a giant cosmic accident, where does a, a moral nature and a moral standard come from? It comes from a moral creator who has placed Those things within our hearts so that we instinctively know some things are wrong. God's truth is revealed in his word. 2 Timothy 3, 15 through through 17. Everything we need to know who God is and what God is like is found in this book that we all have multiple copies of. God is revealed in his word. And then God's truth is revealed in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 11, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But what this passage is teaching us is humans recognize God's revelation of himself. but They reject it. But more than reject it, we see in verse 18, they, they actually suppress it. Right? They, they hinder the truth. From going forward. It's not enough that they reject it for themselves. They don't want anybody to know this truth. Anyone to receive this truth. It's further illustrated in verse 21. It says, for even though they did not, they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but became futile in their reasonings. Their senseless hearts were darkened. Humans knew God or they at least knew about God. And then rather than greatly submit to him as God. They rejected him. The rejection of God is described in two ways in this verse. 
is that they refused to honor him and they did not give him thanks. They refused to honor him. They did not honor him. They refused to worship God as creator. They refused to come to God as redeemer. They refused to submit to God as Lord. They refused to serve God as worthy. Human rejection of God leads them to refuse to honor God because they don't like what is revealed about God. This is what it boils down to. If God was Plato and they could make him however they want, nobody would mind. But God is real and God is something in specific. So, for instance, God is holy. And the absolute holiness of God is problematic to humans because the reality is we're not holy. God's holiness is a problem for our unholiness because a part of holiness is justice. For God to be holy, he must also be just. For God to be just, he must give sinners the punishment they deserve. Humans, all humans, are ultimately accountable to God. It's a fearful thought. But humans are funny. We think justice is great when other people are getting it. But we're not such a fan when that same justice system will be applied to us. Our ultimate accountability to God, who will not excuse our sin, who will not make exceptions for us, who will not overlook us in any way, well, it's intolerable for a sinful culture. So they reject God. God is omniscient. God knows everything about everything. This means any instruction that an omniscient God gives is always right. So we don't get to choose what's right or wrong. There's no vote. It doesn't matter what the society consensus is. It doesn't matter what the the latest psychological report says. We don't get to choose what's right because it makes me happy or because it makes us comfortable or because it's what we want to hear. What's right is what, what the holy... An omniscient God says is right because he is always right. God's ways are always best. God's ways are always right because he is omniscient. And that sort of binary thinking, it is, it is intolerable for a sinful culture who wants to live by their own truth. And so they reject God. And then God is unchanging. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's character, nature, and standards will never change. He will always be holy. He will always be omniscient. He will always hold humans to the standard of righteousness given in His law. God will always punish sin. God will never make exceptions for anyone. And He will never excuse anyone. God will hold you me and every other human to the exact same standard. God's will, God's ways will always be right. And the unchanging nature of God offers a great deal of comfort for those of us who are disciples of Jesus. But that very same truth is horrifying to a sinful culture. And so they reject God. Not only do humans refuse to honor God, but they refuse to To thank God. Now, those who reject God and refuse to thank God would likely say, 
that there's no reason to thank God because if there is a God, he has never done anything for them. Of course, they are willfully ignoring um, or ignorant of the fact that God gives common grace and he pours it out upon all people. For instance, God's word says Jesus causes the rain to fall on the just and on the unjust. God's works, God works for good of humanity in, in a million ways every single day. He makes the sun rise. He makes the rain fall. He gives people intelligence <clears throat> to develop technology and medicine. He gives us life and breath and all things. Every good and every perfect gift that the world that we have in this world is a gift given to us by God, according to James 1.17. But a culture who rejects God and refuses to acknowledge God's role in these things refuses to give him the thanks he so richly deserves. Now, the result of rejecting God is humans become futile in their thinking. Right. Notice what it says. They suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Verse 21 they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. They became futile in their reasonings and their senseless hearts were darkened. Futile means empty, carries with it the idea of empty and worthless. Instead of receiving God's revelation of Himself, they come up with wrong, empty, worthless ideas about God. They also become dark in their hearts. The word for dark pictures blindness. They have become blinded to the truth about God. They are lost in spiritual darkness without any light to guide them and no way to find the way out of darkness. They are helpless and hopeless on their own. Now, what's powerful in this is the way it's worded doesn't picture a move to futile thinking and darkened hearts and stopping. Instead, what it pictures is continually becoming more futile in their thinking more darkened in their hearts. So again, think of it as a spiral of depravity. That as the culture rejects God, they, they continue to go down, deepening their spiritual darkness, deepening the futile ways that they think, deepening their spiritual lotness, deepening how far away from they are from God. And they continue to go down and down and down. A culture who rejects God and keeps rejecting God they will find themselves devolving into depravity. And after rejecting God's wisdom, all that's left is foolishness. That certainly explains a lot of what goes on in our culture today. And after the culture has rejected God, something else happens. The culture replaces God. There's the cultural replacement of God. Look at verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Now, one of the problems with rejecting God is it doesn't end humans' accountability to God. Humans are accountable to God not because I think they are, not because you think they are, but because they are. God is God. If the whole world stopped believing in God, He would still be God and the whole world would still be held accountable to Him. God is the final authority because He is the final authority. And nothing humans do will ever change this. Another problem with rejecting God is that we are hardwired to worship something. And if we reject God, we find something else to worship. Now, worship isn't just singing. Singing is an act of worship. Worship is devotion. It is a way of declaring something is worthy. 
And one of the ways we declare something is worthy is we make it the central object of devotion in our lives. We, we take this, whatever it is, and we make it ultimate for us. Our lives revolve around this. Our lives are devoted to this. And, and whatever is ultimate and most important in our lives, that is what we worship. And when God is not ultimate, and God is not the object of our worship, then something else will fill that void in our lives. Now, verse 22, they claimed to be wise, but they became fools. We hear this in our day. Well, the first part, not the last part so much. They're too smart to believe in God. I mean, we've just evolved too far as humans to believe in an all-knowing and an all-powerful and an all-loving God who spoke the world into existence. To believe that there was a God who came to earth as a man, died on the cross for our sins, and somehow that pays the penalty for all of humanity. What nonsense that is. And yet what the Bible says here is that while they claim to be wise, they actually become fools. The fact that they become fools and foolish is seen in what they replace God with. Look at verse 23. They exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image of in the form of corruptible mankind, birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for something corruptible. Look at verse 25. They exchanged the truth of God for a falsehood and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshipped something created rather than the creator over all. Now there are several ways that this replacement happens. One is they replace the truth of God for a lie about God. This usually happens when they continue to claim to be Christians. They claim to worship the God of the Bible, but they alter a few things. There's just some stuff about God that's really not good in a 2023 world. And so they, they want to fix it a little bit. right? Now, now, of course, they never word it that way. They wouldn't say we're fixing God. What they would say is... I understand the ancient languages far better than anyone else does. And my understanding of the ancient languages leads me to believe that we have always, the church for 2,000 years, have misinterpreted everything about these things. And rather, this is what's right. I'm the first person in history to come up with this. Something along those lines. So perhaps they don't like God's wrath. So they take that out. And they exchange the truth about God for a lie, saying God has no wrath. God is all love and as long as you love, brother, you're good. Perhaps they don't like God's holiness. So they exchange the truth of God for a lie, saying God's probably a bit more like us than we understand. Perhaps they don't like the uniqueness of Jesus. So they exchange the truth of God for a lie, saying all paths lead to God. So long as it causes you to be good, you're okay. And there's a lot of ways this would play out in our culture, in our world. But the key truth that always happens is that they replace the truth about God as revealed in his word for a lie. And what they replace it with contradicts God's word. And in doing so, they begin to worship an object of their own creation. Now, understand, just because somebody says they worship God, or they call what they worship God, it doesn't mean it's Yahweh or Jesus. Think about the Exodus. 
Right? Moses goes up on the mountain. He's gone for a while. The people are like, hey, we think Moses might be dead, Aaron. We think you ought to be the leader. Why don't you make us a God that we can worship? Aaron says, that's a stellar idea. Give me all your earrings and all your nose rings. And so he takes it and he shapes a cow, a calf. And he sets it up. And if you read the story, he doesn't say, behold the cow God, does he? He says, behold, O Israel, your God who delivered you from Egypt. He says, this is Yahweh. This is what Yahweh is like. He's a cow. Isn't that amazing? And it was idolatry. It wasn't God, despite the fact they called it God. And God punished them for it. So when somebody replaces the truth of God for something that makes them feel comfortable, they're not still worshiping God. They've created a golden calf and they're saying, that's God, that's Jesus, that is the God of the Bible. And it's not. God is real. And as such, He's like something. And we can take Him as He is, or we can reject Him outright, but we can't pick and choose. And so when we reject God and we replace God, we build a creation that's meant to be God for us. And once humans have rejected God, some don't build a God and call it Yahweh, call it God. They, they just go all out into other things. But there's still a God they worship. There is still something that is ultimate in their life. Something that controls their decisions and determines what they do. And the most common in our day are simply the sinful desires of an unregenerate heart. These people determine they will live and do whatever they want without any regard to what God may have said on the subject. Now they give reasons as to why this desire is acceptable despite what God has said. See if you've ever heard any of these. The heart wants what it wants. I was born this way. I'm living by my truth. Love is love. But regardless of how they explain giving in to these desires, the actual reason is the same. They have made their sinful desires God in their life. And rather than submitting to the Lord who is God, they have, they have elevated their desires to be God. And again, this is a constant spiral. It causes a deeper spiral into depravity. And a culture that rejects God for long enough replaces God for long enough, finally hits the pinnacle of what God does in this culture. There is a cultural release by God. So what we've seen in this passage is teaching about a culture that really wants nothing to do with God. They don't like God as He is. They don't want God as He is. They reject the truth. They suppress the truth. They replace the truth. So when we get to verse 24... God does something. And he gives them what they want. Verse 24. God gave them up. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them over. Verse 28. They did not seek fit to acknowledge God. God gave them up. The culture doesn't want God. So God gives them what they want. Not him. 
He removes his restraining influence on them and allows the culture to go headlong into its depravity at full force. It's a terrifying thought. Now, this doesn't mean God gives up on people. But it does mean God ceases to restrain the people and allows them to go headlong into their depravity. And this is what happens to a culture who continually rejects God, continually replaces God. God just gives them what they want. For example, as parents, you've probably had an experience where you went out to eat somewhere. And your kids saw something on the menu that they knew they would like. But you knew they wouldn't like it. You knew people don't like liver and onions, especially five-year-olds. That's just no way you're going to want to eat that. No, but it looks really good. Please, Mom, please, Dad. I know I love I've had it before. I know that's exactly what I want. And after trying and trying and trying to talk them out of it, you, okay, all right, have what you want. You let them have that order of liver and onions. And they take that bite and they realize it's the nastiest meal on the whole planet. And they are sad because they really didn't want what they wanted, right? Can I have your food? Can I have something else? That's sort of the picture of what happens here. God is, all throughout this, God is working. He's restraining, He's calling, He's pulling them back. And the the culture just says, no God, no God, no God. And so God says, okay, have your own way. Tell me how that works out for you. And they move. Notice, He gives them up to vile impurities and lusts of their heart. He gives them over to degrading passions. He gives them over to a depraved mind. Right? When God... Again, this is huge. A culture devoid of God's influence does not spiral upward into goodness. It spirals downward into depravity. Always. And we don't have time to cover all the kinds of depravity it mentions here. But I want to point out two in particular because of time. Verse 26 and 27. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions for the women. For their women exchanged natural relations for that which is contrary to nature. Likewise, the men too abandoned natural relations with women and burned in their desire toward one another. Males with males committing shameful acts, receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Homosexuality. It's one of the it's one of the spirals of depravity when the culture is given to homosexual behavior. It's because it's spiraled into depravity. It was verse 26. It talks about female homosexuals. Verse 27. It talks about male homosexuals. It's common in our day for people to say verse 27 um, doesn't refer to the sort of loving monogamous relationships, but to temple prostitution. Now, to be sure, temple prostitution is included in this. Men degrading themselves by selling themselves as prostitutes. And, and understand, temple prostitution, it wasn't men who were having sex with women. right? The man was the prostitute and women were going to them. It was the man who was the prostitute and other men were going to them. So they say this is an abusive sort of relationship. It doesn't have the sort of love that we see in our day. That's not what it means. I mean, it does include that, but it's not limited to that. They, they, they want to tell us that the sort of loving, monogamous, homosexual relationship didn't exist in that day, and that's simply not the case. There's plenty of historical evidence otherwise. 
temple prostitution is included, but it's not limited. We, we see homosexual spoken against in multiple places. In God's word, if this was the only place, we, we might say that. Even then it would be wrong, but we might. But it's spoken of in multiple places. Old Testament, New Testament. It, it's, the God's word is never wavering in this. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 refers to two words for homosexual. One, meaning that it's translated in the King James as effeminate. Referred to a, multiple ideas about what the word effeminate meant. Um, but one is just essentially a guy who acts like a girl. In many ways, this is what we would call transgenderism. Homosexuality in any form, any of the... LBGTQ plus lifestyles are sin. They are always sin. They will never be anything but sin. It doesn't matter what society says. The further a society moves away from God, the more immorality becomes normal common, and even more perverse it becomes. And I don't have to tell you. You can just read the news. There's plenty of cultural accepted perversity in our day along these lines. The further a society moves away from God, the more these sins will be practiced, the more these sins will be accepted, and the more these sins will be celebrated. It is for sure what we're seeing in our country today. But, and I want you to notice this. Let me read all the rest of them. People have been filled with all unrighteous, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, not understanding, untrustworthy, unfeeling, and unmerciful. I wish I had time to go through all of this list because of how common they are. I mean, just, and this isn't in my notes, so this doesn't count. Just look at gossips, right? Think about social media. What does social media enable in a terrible way? All manner of gossip. It's a sign of a, of a society that's spiraled into depravity. Been turned over by God. And then, but the one I want to emphasize, because of the one that for many of us it would say it seems out of, out of place. Verse 30. Disobedient to parents. In the list, we may not think disobedient to parents is, is, is in, it's in proportion. Right? I mean, those are other, those other things are all really bad, but, but kids are gonna be kids. And yet, the reality is God doesn't see things the way we see things. The fact that we think Children being disobedient to parents is normal and natural and acceptable. Shows how influenced by the culture we are. How much like the culture we are. How unlike our God we are. The reason children being disobedient to parents is on this list. Is because children being disobedient to parents overturns God's natural order of things. Just like homosexuality does. God's natural order is for a man to be with a woman. Homosexuality in all of its expressions is a rejection of God's natural order. Similarly, 
God's natural order is children being obedient to their parents until they're adults and they move out and do it on their own. And a culture and children who are disobedient to parents in homes where this is natural and normal is a celebration. I mean, our culture celebrates disobedient children. Our our culture accepts children being disobedient. Our culture encourages our children to rebel. It is a rejection of God's natural order of how the world is supposed to work. Finally, look at verse 32. And although they know the ordinance of God, those who practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but they approve of those who practice them. This is the peak. This is the end. How do we know when the spiral of depravity has essentially hit the low point? There is celebration of the depravity. Notice that they they know the ordinance of God. Those who practice such things are worthy of death. They understand the idea of God's judgment. Now, this doesn't mean they believe it. They know it. They know what God has said. They know that there's judgment for these sins. But rather than being afraid of the judgment of God, they sort of revel in the fact they're going to be judged by God. Basically, it's a, a mocking of the idea of God's judgment. This is this is not the high. This is the low. The low of cultural depravity is when sin is not only accepted, not only encouraged, but it's celebrated. And in our day, in our country, in our culture, it is not only celebrated, it is mandated that we must all celebrate it. This is where we are. In America right now. So what happens to a culture. Who rejects God. Who replaces God. And is eventually released by God. The first of verse 18. Tells us the answer. This whole passage is about the wrath of God. God's wrath isn't always hell. The wrath of God is revealed. From heaven. A culture who rejects and replaces God will experience the wrath of God. And the wrath is the being turned over. As we look at this passage, do we see any of these things in our world? Do we see any of these things in our country? Do we see any of these things in our community? What do we do? Because, I mean, the answer is obviously yes. Clearly, the wrath of God has been revealed and we are at verse 32. What are we to do as disciples of Jesus? Well, first, we must repent. While we may not have spiraled as deeply into depravity of others, it doesn't mean we're not guilty of the same sins. Have we rejected God? I mean, do we know something God has told us to do, but we aren't doing it? And if so, we're basically saying, no, God, I'll do what I want to do. 
Do we know of something that God has told us not to do that we're still actively doing? If so, it is a rejection of God. We are saying, no, God. To not do what God has said, to do what God has not said, is on the same spiral of depravity we've been talking about. It leads to the same judgment. It is a rejection of God. And if we're guilty, we must repent. Have we replaced God? I mean, where does our truth come from? I mean, that, that's the, I think that's the baseline of where we start to replace God. What is truth and where do I find it in my life? Does it come from God and His Word? For something else. If our standard of truth comes from anything other than God and His Word, then we have replaced God. And we are on the same spiral of depravity we've been talking about. It leads to the same judgment. And we must <coughs> repent. What is the supreme object and devotion in our lives? Again, keep in mind, this isn't words. This is your life, what we live. Is it God or is it something else? If something other than God is the supreme object and devotion of our lives, then, then we have replaced God. And we are on the same spiral of depravity we've been talking about, and it leads to the same judgment. We, we must repent. We must also repent of any sins that may have contributed to the cultural spiral into depravity. I mean, do we need to repent of political idolatry? I mean, have we put more hope in a political party or a politician to change and win America back than we do in Jesus to, to redeem people and save souls? Do we need to repent of spiritual cowardice in the face of opposition? Have we let the fact people won't like the gospel keep us from sharing the gospel? Do we need to repent of spending more time spreading the message of a politician than we do spreading the message of Jesus the Savior? Think back over the last election cycle. Compare in your life. How often did you tell people who to vote for against how often did you tell people they need to repent and believe in Jesus? Which one did you spend more time doing? Do we need to repent of being lukewarm in our devotion to Jesus? Are we half-hearted, nominal? It's going to be okay. It's going to turn out okay. Do we need to repent of our prayerlessness? Do we not pray? And once we repent, we must pray as Habakkuk did. Lord, I've heard the report about you and I was afraid. Revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In anger, remember mercy. I'd like to talk about the whole passage. We don't have time. I'm just going to talk about the last part. In anger, in wrath, remember mercy. As we pray, we must plead for God's mercy. Our posture, our attitude in prayer as we pray for our nation for our community is one of pleading for mercy. What America is going through right now is exactly what it deserves. After years and years of rejecting God's truth, after years of years of replacing God with man-made ideas, God has Turned us over. Let us go in our own ways. 
And what we need is not what we deserve. That's not what we want. We want mercy. We must plead for God to not give us what we deserve, but to give us his mercy. In your anger, in your wrath, in this time of judgment, remember to be merciful, O God. And as we plead for God's mercy, we do so with absolute confidence. And our God, who in Ephesians 2, 4 says is rich in mercy and great in love. God not only desires to show mercy or not only willing to show mercy, he desires to show mercy. He delights in showing mercy. How many times in the Old Testament did he look for someone to be interceding for the city or for the nation and founding no one? He turned them over. God is merciful. And then we must recommit ourselves to live as spirit filled, spirit led, spirit empowered disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Regardless of how our culture feels, the greatest need in our culture is Jesus. It's not whatever's going to happen in the next political cycle. It's not a return to the Constitution. It's not to take America back. It's Jesus. And the only group in the world doing Jesus are the church. Disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our business. This is what we've been called to. As disciples of Jesus, we must courageously live for Jesus and boldly proclaim Jesus. So what we're going to do now is have a time of response. I want you to stand. And it's just a time to come and repent. It's a time to come and plead for mercy. It's a time to come and recommit to being a spirit-filled, spirit-led, and spirit-empowered disciple of Jesus. The altars are open for anyone who wants to come.